Welcome to the Mad Pastors Podcast, the honest podcast for honest pastors, powered by G6 Allies, because everybody needs an ally. Welcome back to the Mad Pastors Podcast. I'm Ian. I'm Michael. And we're finishing up our series on sports and the church. And in the words of Yogi Berra, it's impossible to get a conversation going. Everybody was talking too much. I, I, I understand the feeling. <laughs> I know exactly I, what he means. Listen, this sports thing has been great because you've done all the talking, so don't even look at me weird. Yeah. This is your, this is your uh, area of expertise. Yeah. and, and for, We were doing on food in the church. For those of you who are joining us on YouTube and watching this, yep. you get the added benefit of seeing that we rented out an entire stadium to yes. do this podcast in. Stadium, or we could go anywhere we wanted to. We could go to Florida. We're like, hey, Florida. Get some warm weather. We could go to Delaware. Why? Be like, hey, I'm in Just Delaware. Just because we can. Yeah. You should watch Wayne's World. You'd get it. But no, uh, man, finishing out talking about sports. And uh, man, so this week, it's been really good. So for the last three episodes, but this fourth episode, um, is about what sports teaches us about worship. We've talked about what sports teaches us about goodness, teaches us about discipleship, um, and several what different... teaches about ourselves. Ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so looking at all of those, we kind of round it out with what does it teach us uh, as about worshiping? We don't, about we don't typically think about sport and worship overlapping in any way. Unless right? we're, unless unless we're actually <laughs> worshiping sports. Yeah. Unless you're saying, and, you guys worship sports. <laughs> yes. You're going to hell. But a lot of times we don't think about them interacting that way, do we? Right. Uh, and and I want to suggest to us that it actually can be a sport, mm. can be an expression of worship if we do it in the right way. So that's what sure. I want us to talk about a little uh, today. And, you know, when I started this whole journey on writing this dissertation and doing the doctorate on this, on this topic, the first question... Uh, one of the first questions that my supervisor asked me was, if we're going to do this from a theological realm, sure. the, the question that you need to ask is, how do Christians think differently about sport than non-Christians? Hmm. And I had no answer for him on that question because, I mean, I was approaching it from the, from the philosophical or the ethical side of things and hadn't really sure. thought how to integrate my faith into my thinking here. And and so I, that's really what the, the second half of the book Well Played focuses on, is how do we as Christians think about sport? Because there should be something different about it, right? Sure. As in most areas of life, Christians ought to be distinguished from or distinct right. from the non-Christians from the secular world in how they think about certain things, right? Well, the sad thing is it seems like that's becoming less and less of the case, but yes, right. they should I, we be. Right, just jump in the mainstream and, and, right. and go with it. And, you know, and there's something to be said for understanding the times and, mm-hmm. and being all things to all people and all that, but that's not really what we're talking about, right? right. We're, we're talking about how, how does your faith influence or inform the way that you think about and ultimately the way you act when you're participating in this activity, right? Right, no doubt. Um, and so... I think one of the starting points for us in this conversation is to recognize that sport, like every other aspect of humanity, yeah. that it has been corrupted by sin and it stands in need of redemption. Okay. You know, we, we think about this in other areas. Part of part of our 
role in be, in becoming better disciples of Christ is to think about how does my faith influence my marriage? Sure. Uh, how does it influence my work? We don't often think about it in terms of how does my faith influence the way I watch sports. That just seems like an odd question, doesn't it? It does, but I think that I think you're right. We don't. We never ask that. I think we view it. It's because we view it as uh, something that's not involved in our faith, right? We don't view it as anything that could have to do with it. So of course you can link. I can link my family, or I can link my finances, or because those seem to be things that God cares about. But then when you go into sports, it's like, oh, surely not. I right. just, and, and that, I think that though that's seen, especially in Christian schools or even schools that have chaplains or whatever, right? That, that's always indicative of their prayers. Because if you think very much, if you're much of a thinker, you your prayer is seems odd because you're like, God, I want to go out and beat these people. But then you think about it, and you're like, but there's people that know Jesus over on that side, and they're <laughs> yes. praying the same thing. And and I used to, you know, I'm not. I have I've been chaplains on the baseball teams and on basketball teams, um, and you know, I would always pray. You know, I'd say, guys, here's the deal. I, I'm not going to pray that you win. I don't think God cares if you win. I said, not to hurt your, but burst your bubble. I said, but I do pray that you glorify Him in the endeavor. And you know, I I've always heard some goofy pastors will say, you know, you'll these guys will be praying they'll be like, God, I just want to beat the stink out of them for Jesus, and just yeah. and but they prayed it seriously. And so, I, right. but I think that that's reflected that we just. We don't give it any thought. We say something easy and cheesy like, we want to glorify Jesus through it, and then we just move on. But we don't ever really take time to think about what that means. So I think the the defining characteristic of a Christian athlete, or or you could even say a Christian spectator, because sure. most of us, like you and me, <laughs> right. we're not athletes. No. Maybe once upon a time, but... I wasn't even once upon a time. Uh, but now you know, we're yeah. spectators. We're, we're not participants in mm. other than, you know, a pickup game in the driveway or whatever. But I still choose not uh, to play <clears throat> at that point. But the defining characteristic for a, a Christian athlete or for Christians interacting with sport should right. be a spirit of humility mm-hmm. and of thankfulness. And we talked about this a little bit in the in the past couple weeks. Yeah. So, you know, this whole thing it's is building on itself. That humility is a, is a central part of the Christian approach to sport because we recognize that we are limited beings. We sure. we can't do everything, and that's why we love sports so much and love the professional level where we see these athletes do these amazing things that ninety nine point nine percent of the rest of us could never even dream of doing. Yeah. We without an, a recognition of our finitude or our human limitedness, mm-hmm. we wouldn't really appreciate that, right? And so right. there there is an element of humility that goes with sport and recognizing, hey. There are limitations to what I can and can't do. I'm I'm not the greatest thing that's ever graced this earth, right? Sure. And so we recognize humility in this, but we also recognize thankfulness. Right. That we are appreciative of the gift that God has given us in sport and the ability uh, to play it. So sport that glorifies God is only found after this all-consuming desire for personal victory has been lost. Mm. So... As Christians, when we come to sport, we don't come to it with this idea of I'm going to win at all costs and I'm going to cheat, I'm going to poke you in the eye, I'm going to do whatever <laughs> I have to do to make sure I win because it's all about me. Oddly enough, though, as pastors and other people, that's how we, we live ministry. We see that way all the time. I'll poke everybody in the eye. Yes, but absolutely. Yeah, no doubt. Or, or I'll sh- I mean, it was so funny. You think about this when you relate it between sports and all that. Like, we wouldn't, half of the way that we act that I see pastors act, and, and we've both been around some of the biggest guys in the country and big names and influencers, and I have been nothing but 
very little uh, excitement for the people I met, mostly disappointment. Because if you had to put them in a in a football league and they use the same rules, they'd have been kicked out every game. And right. it's you know it's all about you know I will trash all of these people behind their backs, but I'm their best friends because I'm with them and they benefit me. Or all you know cheating yeah, to the top. Can I get out of it? I had a pastor one time have me sit down in his office and take a test for him in seminary. Like we sat down and he opened the book and I said, "Are you sure you were allowed to do this?" And he went. Uh, I don't know. Nobody said I couldn't. So he had me set in his book and look up answers as he was taking it for a, for a seminary class. And I just, I, uh, crazy. That's awesome. Yeah, I was just, so, I won't name you, but people know who you are. We know who Keep you going. are. If, if Christians are going to glorify God and they're going to exhibit Christ-like behavior, both on and off yeah. the field, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, it's going to be because they've rejected that frame of mind that... Mm-hmm. Plagues mainstream sports that sure. I got to win at all costs. Right, and so that's part of and what distinguishes the only Christians found in victory. from non-Christians is is just the whole mindset behind the way we approach sport. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, you know, we approach it with this with this mind frame of gratitude or admiration for the one who created this good gift for us. And sure. and so, man, how different would sports look if that if that was the approach that we took? Right. Uh, it definitely would look very different from the way that we'd look at it now, right? So right. instead of instead of sport being a an activity that uh, you know takes us from being people who are humble and mm-hmm. who uh, respect one another and and encourage and prod one another on, and we get better uh, together rather than focusing on the grace side that God has given us the grace to do these things and sure. to having the thankfulness that God has blessed us with this, rather than having that, we tend to look at sport as a complete focus on ourselves. We look sure. at it as a way to get ahead or to gain an edge. It becomes very self-centered. Right. Um, we worship our bodies or our abilities. Mm-hmm. We we love to figure out new creative ways to cheat so that we can get ahead, right. and we love it for that. Yeah, right. Oh, like yeah. that's that's the problem here is that we absolutely <laughs> uh, idolize sports. It's like playing Monopoly with your older brother. Anytime that situation was always you know you or with a family member, and they cheating is part of the game. For them, and the more they can cheat, and the more they get away with, the better it is. Oh yes, absolutely. <laughs> a game within the game. That's why Monopoly is to see sucks. How much you can cheat without getting caught, right? right? But but we are absolutely consumed by sport, and, and we have made an idol of it, and it and it right. it throws off all of our other priorities: our, our family, mm-hmm. our work. Um, there is a a really interesting book called Rammer Jammer Yellow Hammer, which is mm-hmm. part of the tagline for. University of Alabama. When I was um, down there, I used to eat at the Rammer Jammer Cafe, and it was awesome. So in this book, he he, um, he talks throughout this book. Uh, his whole point is to get at the crazy fandom that is Alabama football, mm-hmm. and and the extent to which people idolize and worship this sport. And he yeah. and he. Gives this story, and this is a hundred percent factual book. These, these are right. this is a real thing. Uh, he tells the story of a a family, a married couple, who had spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on this RV 
so that they could travel to every single football game. They had not missed an Alabama football game in decades. They missed their own daughter's wedding because it was scheduled during an Alabama football oh my game. Gosh. First wedding? That Good might, question. That might Don't play. Know, yeah. <laughs> it's your eighth wedding. I'm not going to go to. I'm going to the football game. Three weddings down. But, but I mean, think about this. Right. People are sacrificing their daughter's yeah. wedding because they want to go to a football. And then when asked For, why, yeah. right. like why would you do this, they said he just he just kind of shook his head and got a blank stare in his eyes and said, "I just love Alabama football." Is all I can say. Like. There's but, a problem here that we love, and that's an extreme example. No, it is but, extreme, but how? But think about how that plays out normally in life is that people will sacrifice so much for a sport that does not love them or care about them. Yes, exactly. That could give a rat's rear end what happens to them, and then they, and they sell their kids out to it. They raise their families in an environment that says sports is most important, work is most important, to something that cares little about them. But they'll they won't give anything to the church, or that or it's very well, little. It's, and, and I mean, it, it goes to show just how even as a spectator, how self centered sport can become. Sure, that you no, know, you're not participating. You're not getting a big paycheck. You're not even winning a right. trophy. Yeah, it is. It is just something that you crave, that you desire more than anything else, and you're gonna cast every other priority aside yeah. so that you can focus on this. And sometimes, you know, that is, we did use that extreme example, but sometimes it's much more subtle, but can be just as deadly. And subversive, Um, yeah. I mean, I I think for me, a personal example of this, because I used to be such a sports fanatic, and and we've we've mentioned that, and and I'm not nearly the fanatic that I I once was, Um, but when we would... When we were going through this uh, PhD program, and even after that, yeah, one year, I've been married for almost twenty years now, and about thirteen, fourteen years into that, Whitney sat me down and was like, "All right, listen, we have never actually taken a vacation." Mm-hmm. Like, well, yeah, because we don't, we don't have, we we're a pastor with a PhD and student Take debt. It. Two vacations. Like, we don't have the money for a <laughs> for a vacation, right? Yeah. Well, she said, but look at what we have done. Every yeah. all, all of our excess money, our, our fun money that we would spend on stuff was spent on sporting events. Instead of, instead oh, of wow. making, you know, creating a vacation fund to take my family on a vacation, I spent right. our money on Cubs tickets because we, <laughs> we lived, you know, yeah. several blocks from Wrigley Field. Man. And those aren't cheap, but that's what we spent. Right. That's what we spent our vacation money on was going to a Cubs game. And... Yeah. And I let that become a priority sure. more than because my wife and my, if my wife and daughter loved it, then yeah, great. Let's let's do that as a family thing. They went to humor me. They right. had no, they didn't care. Four thousand dollars later, one hundred percent for me, right? And not for my family. Sure. And so I let sport shift me, or I let my self centered, my natural proclivity to being self centered. Yeah take over that aspect of sport, too. Well, and so it's very yeah. dangerous, even at a, at a more subversive or, or but you, uh, you say that simple level, too. It's not much different, though. What you're saying is, and a lot of, so, and, and we speak about this from the perspective of pastors to pastors and church leaders, because this is a real, this is a big point of contention. How do we deal with sports, right? But one thing, on the side note, I see so many families that they do. They sell themselves out for a game that their kid will play for a few years and then be done with. And Lord willing, 
his life will be much better than that. So if he, you know, some guys live in high school and I want to tell him to go get a better life. <laughs> and that could literally yeah. just mean stop Uncle, thinking Uncle about Uncle Rico it. syndrome. No? <laughs> Uncle Rico or Friday Night Lights, the movie. Not, I never watched the show. But the movie, you know, you have, and that, that's a real thing. You have these guys that are glory days. If your yeah. glory days aren't with your family and currently and in the future, then you are a loser. I'm just going to, I'm just honestly with you. Because you're, God's not designed you that way. There are no, man, back in the day, it was so much better. Well, that's your fault. That's not the fault of anybody else. And so, but I think about how many families, like you say, it's subtle, it's it's a subversive thing where they say, well, my child just wants to play all these sports. Well, well do they? Or do you really want them to play sports and they know that that's the way they can please you? Yeah. And even outside of that, why why you don't let your child do anything else? All, and this is my inner student pastor coming well, out. And we're and we'll get to yeah. you. You're, you're jumping ahead. Ian. Well, but I like jumping False ahead. start. That's that's in football. Sporting reference. It's also in track and field. Well, but who watched? But nobody cares field? about that. <laughs> so, he was a hurdler. Just so, <laughs> um, and I never false started. I don't think. But I mean, anyway. of all the things you got to brag about, <laughs> that's not that would go with. That's a highlight of my of my life. I never Zero false starts. <laughs> In marriage, um, though, many false starts. <laughs> no, in life. Oh, I did false start once. See, so lie. It was a bad all lie. All right, we're gonna we're gonna derail here for a minute because yeah. it's sports and it's here's, my show and I can do that. Okay, so here's what we're gonna do. Um, let's. We want to remind you, but to do something real quick. We want to remind you. This is new. Our video podcast is newer, uh, but we want to remind you to subscribe. So just all you got to do is click the subscribe button and the notifications button down there and subscribe to. Uh, G6 Allies, not only will you have a chance to see our podcast, but there's a whole set of resources there. We're also pastors and church practitioners, so we have services. We've got videos coming continually that are not just about podcasts. So please subscribe, uh, click the notifications button, and share it. Even if it's not quite your cup of tea, it's somebody's. And so everybody needs to get a chance to decide for themselves, do they want to be a mad pastor? So awesome. Okay, so here's here's my derailing story. That didn't that didn't stop me. I'm still I'm still going here. So in in track and field, okay. when someone has a false start, they're there's a, they're allowed one. So the entire heat is allowed one false start. Right. Everybody resets, and if someone false starts again, whether it's that same person or somebody else, they're disqualified and they and they don't get to compete in the race. Yeah, okay? it's true. So I was in a race that happened. Somebody false started. And then I false started, and so uh, I was disqualified and had to and had to leave. Are you blaming that other person? And, and I was like, "Crap! I can't believe I did that." And the and the uh, I don't even know what they call the referee, the guy that holds the gun and, and starts the race. He said he 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 wanted me to go ahead and run. He's like, "Are you gonna win?" And I said, "No." <laughs> He's like, "Okay, then you can go ahead and run just just for the sake of running." Right. And then I won. Nice. And um, man, everybody else was so, so mad, mad because I won. I technically was disqualified. Uh, I still count it as a win. Did you get the win? Yeah, yeah. Because the people at the other end didn't know it was me that false started. Uh, well, so, okay. but but everybody in the in the race did know, and they all hated me. Forever. Let's get this back real fast. So, um, <laughs> okay, it's partly Here, part my show too, and it's going in a bad direction. Here's what uh, what I want us to shift our our focus to now. So. Okay. As we're thinking about sports, particularly for pastors, right. how should you as a pastor 
think about this and how should you approach this? Because yeah. I mean that's one of the one of the tough questions of being a pastor is sure. what what's at my disposal to help my people grow and, and be disciples and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And sport clearly is an option on the table, right? right. It, it, even if you choose not to use it, it ought to be something you consider mm-hmm. because it's so prevalent. Right. But that's the question, right? Is because sport has such corrupting tendencies and because we right. can, you know, idolize it, it, do we take the approach of, hey, I want to abstain from all appearance of evil. I want to keep my people away from it and yeah. not put them in a place where they're tempted to sure. idolize it. And so we're not going to even talk about it. We're going to ignore it altogether. Or do you go the other route and say, because people love it so much, they're already connected to it. It's an easy on-ramp to help connect people and reach people in our community and even within our own within our own church. Sure. Uh, and I don't think that there is a solid, concrete answer to that question. I think it kind of right. depends on the pastor and what their unique situation is like, what sure. their what their well, vision and what kind of some of their goals as a church are. Yeah. You got to factor all of that kind of stuff. And for in, people so. who, you, depending on your context, so you know, I, you've served in Chicago and you've served in you know here in Oklahoma and all over. I've served in well, decidedly, you've served in the UK, and that's a whole different type of love of sport and soccer or football. Football, but uh, but all that to say, you know. I, I, I've served from Nashville to Tuscaloosa, like we've been talking about. Uh, I've been in Atlanta, Georgia, and it's it is interesting. It does change. The I, South loves their sports. Well, they do, and they love their concept of Jesus. But I don't know if they love Jesus. And so it's. I mean, I remember reading these great books. The more of them are coming out about how difficult it is to do ministry in religious areas. And but all that to say, and where where you're coming from too, because I think that most of the South thing is. As long as you vote Republican and you don't do drugs, you must love Jesus, and mm-hmm. um, and that's not really true. But when you talk about sports too, I think I do think that there's so many elements to it. But as as somebody who spent the almost all of my time so far in student ministry and have poured in and, and done that on a national level as well as on the local church level, man, sports are one of the greatest ways that you can support and love and invest in schools because I will tell you if you're not in schools you're not doing good student ministry and now if you can't go into schools that's another thing but if you have the opportunity to go and you don't well one of the biggest things you can do is invest in sports teams not only sports but show up at games let students I mean that's one of the greatest places to see students in the stands and Mm -hmm. so I think that there's a great opportunity with it right but more or less with pastors, I think less of it is a matter, you know, maybe as much as we rag on upward, start an upward league if that fits your context. But all of that to say, um, I think maybe we're looking at it from how does a pastor really shepherd his people in a culture that is so um, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs over yeah. sports. And and that's that, I think, is the best question. Yeah, and, and that's what we're, yeah. that's what we're we getting at. It? So how, how do we teach our people? So right. here's, here's what we want to do. We want to offer... Uh, three three principles, three suggestions that you as a pastor or, I mean, we know we got several listeners that are sure. not pastors. Yeah. Apply this as your, to your family or uh, to, your, to your own life, right? Like well, there's, it's, there's, there's all kinds of applications. Everything out in the gospel, I mean, it always, it's the funny thing is the gospel doesn't change. So you could probably insert a lot of things in here. But like you said, when it's specifically yeah, I mean, sports, we, it's challenging. So we're going we're gonna to phrase all these as teach your people to... Right. But you could easily just say, learn to do this yourself. Yeah, live it out. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be the greatest. So the first one is to teach your people to make discipleship their top priority. Right. So 
the 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 bane of a pastor's existence is mm-hmm. church attendance, right? Oh yeah. I yeah. don't think it should be, but that's that's where most of culture church culture is at right now that church attendance is king. And and if that's the case, if church attendance is king, man, it makes us mad when people don't come to church so they can go to a sporting event, oh, right? Yeah. yeah. And so how do how do seen we you in six that? months, Bill? Well, I've been playing softball with my 7-year-old daughter. Great. Yes. <laughs> Just, yeah, or you know, during the summer months when when it's yeah. golf season, yeah, Sunday morning people are out on the golf course and yeah, they're they're true. not at church. They'll only come to church in the winter when it's too cold to play golf. And <laughs> so, I mean, we got all this kind of stuff happening, right? And sure. so, the goal is not to teach your people to prioritize church attendance. Right. That's that's not the end goal. Yeah. If all if that's all we're doing, like. What's the point? I mean, we're we're creating a social club. Who cares about that? Sure. The goal is discipleship. Right. And so I I have <clears throat> no problem with a dad missing church because he took his son fishing or he took his son to a, a sporting sure. event or I mean, he's investing in his family, he's building a relationship with his kids, he's making memories. Love it. That's sure. great. Sure. Can you can you miss church to go to a sporting event and be a good disciple of Christ? Absolutely. Right. Can you miss church every single week because you want to be yeah. at a sporting event or <laughs> you know you you never participate in your faith family because sports takes priority or, or 12 and, or 12 weeks a year because yeah. you you had to drive 4 hours every Saturday to see a team play? I mean, no. Probably right. you know, probably not. You're you're not going to be a good disciple <laughs> if if you have zero priority yeah. for your but, faith family and, and That's the thing. It's it's a when you when, you know, we tend to say and I think we fall on this extreme, right? Is it okay to miss once or miss? Is it okay to miss occasionally? Sure. Is it okay to never come? And those seem to be the two options. I think one of the best ways to say this is: Is it okay to consistently not be in your? So uh, consistently, I mean, I've had I served at a church. It wasn't a mega church, but it was, it was bordering on that and really large. And the pastor just had decided he came in and went. You know what? This other pastor that he you know complained about in private and then groveled before in person. Who's a mentor? But he said, he just said, people don't come to church, but regular attendance now is one once a month. That's just regular attendance. And I said, what? So that's what we're shooting for? Like, it was so stupid. Yeah, if we get them twice a month, we're ahead of the curve. Yeah, and and that's just, but that's shifting your your standards rather than what I think is, is great here. That's essentially obliterating your standards, right? The idea is, are you consistently meeting together with God's people. And that mm-hmm. so that means maybe you can't always, maybe you are making three Sundays a month or two Sundays a month for a season, for a short season, but you're also connecting outside with the groups of disciples. You're, I mean, the whole discipleship is bigger than a Sunday morning service or a Sunday evening service, right? Right. Yeah, so. and you're, you know, you're not... I hate even... I don't know if you guys can hear that jet flying yeah, over. There's a plane right over us. We're not even near an airport. Oh yeah, we are. Oh, like the Air Force Base is right over there. Oh yeah, and that's what that is. Uh, we can cut that out later. Yeah, um, no, we won't. We won't. the The goal is not even to measure our discipleship based on our attendance, sure. which which is part of the problem is that with those that I have with those stats yeah. is that's what we're looking at as our metric of discipleship is people attend church more frequently than not. And that's that to me isn't a good indicator of of discipleship. Well, I think it falls down. And how so? How do we how do we implant Hebrews ten twenty five into this? Right, because we're, very, we're told very clearly in Scripture, 
to don't forsake the assembling of the brothers, right? Because yeah. to spur one uh, another on. So how do we how do we kind of balance? Well, I think you have to because you can show up every day to a garage. It don't make you Cadillac, right? So we're not saying that the more you show up, the more godly you are. But we also know there's a scriptural precedent to continually, consistently be with God's people. And so, and maybe that doesn't always look like a service, right? I mean, that can look like discipleship in right. groups. It can look a lot of ways. But if somebody just never came to worship with God's people, that would be an issue. Yeah, I think we got to define what we mean, what what Hebrews means by don't forsake the assembling. Sure. If, you, if you're there once or twice a month, clearly you haven't forsaken. Right. Right? Or forsaken. Forsaken. Well, I think um, it could be better. We'll ask the jet plane what it thinks. Um, and so I, I, that's that's the verse that pastors, that's their go-to, right? Sure. You didn't come to church this week. Don't forsake this. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's, uh, let's sure. dial that back a little bit, Barney. Um, we, don't, we don't necessarily, we, we just put such an emphasis on attendance. Right. And that really shouldn't be our goal. Our goal should not be to belittle our people or to... Uh, check up on them every time they don't attend because they need to be there. Our goal should be to help them prioritize growing in their faith. Right. And one of the primary avenues through which we do that is through our assembly together, where we are come, where we've come together as a community, right. and we are in the presence of one another. And we're learning together. We're we're uh, if you're a liturgical church, you're going through the physical motions together in unison, mm-hmm. which which is a beautiful picture of of God's family and those are the things that we ought to be prioritizing and so yeah maybe maybe you you have a you know a 12 week sporting event that occurs on you know Sunday morning or or Saturday right. night and it's out of town and so you don't get back Sunday morning okay let's let's stop and let's ask the question what are you prioritizing right are you prioritizing being a part of your faith family or are you prioritizing pursuing sports or some you know something sure. for your kids or what have you what's what's our goal here what what are we trying to get at what are we trying to achieve by doing this right. that's how christians need to be thinking about this and that's how pastors yeah. need to encourage well, I do, people I do to appreciate, think about it yeah i do appreciate the idea that that no very few conversations are going well if there's an ultimatum and mm-hmm. i do think you if you put this idea of it's it's this versus this do this or that. And that's not really, you don't see that much with Jesus unless it's a cut and dry issue. And in fact, the idea of balance is a very biblical idea, right? And I do think, and, and just as contexts are different, I do think that that probably does look very different based on your church. Yeah. You know, what does it mean to be consistently there or not? But it is. Well, a- and, and if you, you know, maybe you are, um, have to be out or you choose to be out right. for a series of weeks or whatever, you can still make your faith family a priority by participating in in small groups, yep. by um, you right. know one on one discipleship. You know you, you may sports or work, work is another one because oh, that geez. that one's a tough one. You, yeah, that's not much of a choice for some people. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was scheduled to work here. I have to work so. during church service, so I can't be there. They're immediately so, going to hell. Just kidding. So you prioritize right. your discipleship by finding other ways in which to participate in the in the life of the church. And as a church, Small we groups, should you, offer. You discipleship one-on-one, yeah. you take somebody to breakfast, you, you go to breakfast with your pastor. Yep. Whatever it is, you find ways to engage in this because you prioritize it. Well, and, and I If think, you're not doing that, then it's not a priority for so you. So the flip side of that, though, too, for the church is 
we need to prioritize giving multiple options for our people to connect over and in, in different ways throughout the throughout the week, right? So how do we how, are we encouraging people to meet together throughout the week and do maybe they're doing a small group and it doesn't have to look any particular way, but are they in fellowships at the week? Are they you know I've I fought back and forth with a pastor one time. We had these incredible growth in these home groups and and we were meeting Sunday nights and we'd had a fire at this church and so we couldn't meet normally. And so I said, hey, let's take all these kids of this age and let's start meeting at homes and let's do this. Well, man, we immediately tripled in size because who, what what kid wants to come to church that its parents don't already come, wants to wake up Sunday morning at 9 a.m.? That's not a very great <laughs> evangelistic decision. It's yeah. like, we want to reach people on the most inconvenient time for them. So Sunday nights exploded, and we were starting to connect kids all over our city, and they would not do it. And they kept saying, well, because we're not a family church if we don't have everybody. And I thought, what a stupid way to look at it. And then, and then, But it kind of clicked for the first time in my mind that we do, like you're saying, we've got to be uh, creating those opportunities as well. And yeah. so there's, there's just as much accountability on our side to make sure not burning ourselves out, but sign that up, creating the ability to have it as a priority. So we're, we're making discipleship yep. a priority. The next thing we're doing is we're teaching our people to steward their resources well. And, and we yeah, talked about one. this a couple weeks ago yeah. um, that we spend so much money, <laughs> billions of dollars a year billions on sports. We spend hours and hours, probably billions of hours collectively watching sports. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and as a pastor... Who, who loves and appreciates sports, sure. I still look at this and think, oh, there's a problem here because right. we're spending our time and our money on sports mm-hmm. and we are not spending time and money on the things of God, right? right. Uh, how, many, how many parents are spending thousands of dollars on their kids' thousands. Uh, sporting endeavors mm-hmm. but don't spend a dime on helping them yeah. grow as Christ followers, or I mean, even just take take the spiritual side out of it. <laughs> Are you developing right. your child into a good person? Sure. No, you're throwing them into this competitive, right. hey, go go get your own mentality. And yeah. we're not, and I'm not saying that all sports, travel sports or team sure. sports, competitive sports are bad, obviously. But we don't spend any amount of time focusing on the character formation or the spiritual formation. Well, you either you, you have some parents who say, "Well, I'm paying for a Christian school, so now all of a sudden discipleship is the Christian school's job," right. which is, by the way, are usually terrible. Uh, and so, you usually stick the people in Bible classes that have the <laughs> the they have no credentials anywhere else, and they're a coach. But either way, I do. I think you're 100. percent Are we developing? And, and it kind of blows my mind that you will, like I would see kids that would do that and the first people that seem to seem like would, that would ask for assist, financial assistance for camp, for a student camp, which... Exactly. Uh, yeah, I'm not... Exactly an, what I thought of, too. I'm not an event guy <laughs> at all um, and when it comes to ministry, but I do, I think you do one or two really great events throughout the year. And so we, we do student camps. We take upwards of 500 kids at certain churches, but the first people that would immediately, you know, and we created some systems that made them a little bit embarrassed to do this unless they really needed it. But it was like, explain why you can't explain that. And so they would have to kind of apply. But at one point it would be, you know, these people, they made so much money. They had to triple, triple my salary. And their kids did all these things. And they would ask. And you would just sit there and go, okay, not, not versus, 
but where is the priority here? Mm-hmm. And and you know, it's I, I just think at the end of the day, or you've got families that they're not they don't have the resources to really do anything and they're mortgaging out their future to have their kids do something that they'll never be good enough to make any money at. They'll just just for an activity. Yeah, that's it's it's an activity. That's that's but they not, don't read God's not word. an investment. Yeah. They can quote um, they can quote stats, they can do all this stuff, but then when you're like, hey, yeah, have I, you read God's word this week for maybe five minutes I, each day? I oh. have I have a just and it's anecdotal, it's completely based on experience as a pastor and the conversations mm-hmm. I've had with with many people over the years. Um, I think we pro- the average person probably spends more time watching sports in a week yeah. than we spend on prayer and scripture reading in an entire year, if not multiple years. No doubt. And if you're not a sports and, person, just switch that in with streaming or with yes, whatever and, hobby. And that's, you know. and that's a problem. So it, yeah. again, it goes back to, to prioritizing, right? We, sure. we prioritize discipleship. We, we need to prioritize how we're stewarding our time and our resources, mm-hmm. uh, particularly as we're teaching our kids, because that's... That's essentially you have as a parent, mm-hmm. and I'm speaking me as a parent with a right. teenager. What you do teaches your kids what to value. Yeah, and no, so 100%. if if I if, see, if I spend do. all my money and all my time on on sporting events for my kids, and I don't ever make it, you know, mm-hmm. you don't have to go to church because right. you got this. Yeah, I'm ingraining in my teenager that this is not as important as this is. Yeah, and then we wonder why teenagers leave the church after they graduate high school. Well, because we've <laughs> right. spent the last ten years teaching them that it's not that important. What's important mm-hmm. is going and doing the things that you want to do and doing the right. things that you like to do, like sports. Or uh, that's that's the problem here. Well, and we do hear. So you know, I just I totally feel that. And we used to always hear the statement. Uh, people would get super irritated, and they would say. Uh, Say, so, well, I just, it, was, it sounds real good on the surface, and then it very quickly gets rotten in the court. I just don't want to force Jesus onto my kids. I don't want them to walk away from the church. And I would always come back, and I was an a-hole about it, but I would always say, I would just come back, and because I think that that's ridiculous, and it's just a cop-out. And so I said, here's the deal. You don't tell your child you can't do school and force school on them and then education. You don't do that with eating well. You don't do that with sports. You let them pick 85 sports, and honestly, I'd see them play, and they sucked at all the sports they played. You don't tell them that anywhere else but Jesus. And the truth is, if they don't see that it's a priority in your life and in your family, then they're not ever going to take it. So what are, you know, that you, you don't ask that when you go on four vacations a year. Right. Uh, and so, it's, yeah. It's... It's telling them what what to prioritize, what to value, and what and it always, goes further down the, yeah. the totem pole. But it's right? like everything else we're talking about, from ministry to family to whatever. If it's not being practiced at the top, it will not be practiced underneath. Yeah. And that's why there's accountability as pastors to do that, accountability as church leaders, small group leaders, and as fathers and mothers. Your what happened? It's yes, your children will be accountable for the things that they do when they grow up, but we are going to be accountable for what our people see and what they're encouraged to do based on our example. Yeah. And that's that's a scary thought. All right, so pastors, the, the third thing we want you to teach your people mm-hmm. is to teach them how to worship the Lord in all areas of life. Which, yeah. We, we said at the beginning that we don't often put worship and sports in the same category. We don't, we don't right. think of them as, as interacting mm-hmm. at all. But as we've talked about throughout this entire series, they actually do, and, and yeah. sport can be, in, in the right uh, environment, can be an expression of worship. It's not always going to be that, obviously, yeah. right? Um, 
But then again, neither is singing a Chris Tomlin song always going to be a form of worship, right? right? Yeah. It's listening to a sermon or a sure. talk. It's not always a form of, of yeah. worship. But when you're invested in it, when, when you're learning from it, when you're uh, showing, when you're recognizing the grace that God is giving you, when you have that gratitude or that thankfulness for what he has blessed you with, sure. it, when, those, when those circumstances all line up, it becomes a form of worship. Yeah. And sport is no exception to this. Right. Uh, neither is your work. Neither is your, your marriage or your relationship with your kids or your hobbies or whatever. Yeah. There is no divide between this sacred, what we would call sacred, and then secular over here, the things that God is not a part of and the things that God is a part of in my life. No doubt. There shouldn't be two separate things, well, right? You know, John Calvin has such a great quote that the human heart is an idol factory. And I think that rather, you know, we tend to point out that in, in our response, except for probably the sports, but usually our response is, well, that thing must just be bad. And we point that out, but that's not the problem. The problem is that God gives us good things, but when good things become God things, they become bad things. And and so it's not about the merits of that thing for sure. It's how do we how do we put it all in the right order and the right filter so that we can stay worshiping God? And why does Jesus not transcend all those things? And that that's the goal, right? And so here's the really interesting thing about when we when we think of sport as an avenue for worshiping the Lord. Yeah. When we adopt that mindset. Some of the other problems that we've just spent the last 30 minutes talking about, mm -hmm. they, become, they become crystal clear that they are problems, right? right. If, if I am approaching sport as a means of, of worshiping the Lord, I'm going to quickly recognize that my obsession with sport is stopping me from worshiping the Lord. Right. And, and so we can identify that there's some problems taking place here, right? Sure. That, it's very difficult to worship the Lord when you're spending your money on stuff that isn't advancing his kingdom. Right? Right. It's very difficult to worship God when you are so centered on winning and getting something for yourself and being self-centered. It's really difficult to worship in those environments. Right. And so if we shift our focus to thinking about sport as a, a form of worship, I would even say that it's very difficult to worship through sport when you neglect your faith family and, and being yeah. a part of your community. 100%. So... Yeah, because that, that, that's the danger in having this conversation. Yeah. Because I know some guys are out there going, oh, so if I just say <laughs> watching football on Sunday nights is Discipleship. a form of worship, <laughs> I'm off the hook. Right? That's, right? that's not the goal here either. Then you're self-centered. <laughs> so you're being self-centered. Are you actually worshiping and growing when yeah. you're so self-centered? Right. No, you're not. So that's why worship, mm -hmm. teaching our people to understand this, that really helps. And so uh, let me leave you guys with with um, with a couple of thoughts. Yeah. Um, one is a, is a great quote from A. W. Tozer because he love A. W. Tozer in the pursuit of, of holiness. He um, he separates or he he attacks this idea of separating out sacred and secular. Sure. And he says this. Um, he says it's not what a man does that determines whether his work is sacred or secular, right. it's why he does it. The motive mm -hmm. is everything. Mm -hmm. And and I, I want to challenge you, Pastor, as for you personally and as you're shepherding your people, man, what is the motive behind participating in sport? If, if, applying this sure. particularly to sport now, right? What is the motive behind that? And, and we need to 
apply yeah. our faith to that motive and think, okay, is this a good motive or is it a bad motive? Sure. Um, but then the other thing I, I want to encourage you on is, yes, sport can be corrupting. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, can, it can lead us to some bad places. It can make us obsessed. It can turn into idols. It can turn us into self-centered jerks uh, mm -hmm. who are only concerned with winning. It can do all of those things. But at the end of the day, having fun and playing sports is a good thing. Sure. Um, and it should be a good thing. You know, one of my favorite writers, G.K. Chesterton, said, uh, I don't think, Everlasting Man, maybe, but somewhere he wrote, he was talking about uh, Jesus and, and what we have, the, the records that we have of how Jesus behaved and who he was and the kind of person that, that he was. And, and he said, you know, I, I sometimes wonder, there's some elements of Jesus that we don't have, of his personality that we don't have recorded in Scripture. Some right. things that we just, that God just, it would be too overwhelming, too daunting, too sure. much for us to process, to record it in that well, way. It's like John and, says, all the things that Jesus did. We have and it's, it's something that we're just going to have to wait and see uh, on the other side what, what this amazing characteristic of Jesus right. was. And, and he says, I have sometimes fancied that it was his mirth. It was Jesus's ability to to have fun and to relax and to cut up and to play that the scriptures don't speak to because it's so overpowering we wouldn't know what to do with it. It's an interesting thought from Mr. Yeah. Chesterton. No doubt. Um, and so I want to leave you guys with that thought. Maybe having fun is actually more of a spiritual practice than we realize that it is. He his quote was there was there was something that he covered constantly but abrupt silence. Or impetuous isolation. There was someone, uh, there was some one thing that was too great for God to show us when He walked upon our earth. And I have sometimes fancied that it was His mirth. Great, great quote. So from, from Orthodoxy. Orthodoxy, yes. That's right. So um, Google, check out that book if you've never read Orthodoxy or Everlasting Man. Hopefully, if you haven't read Fantastic. it, you at least practice it. Maybe. Love you guys. Thanks yep, for joining us on the series of sports. We will uh, we'll see you yeah. next time. If you have any questions about what we're talking about, put it in the comments below or uh, shoot us an email at uh, hello at g6allies.com. All that info is at the end. But listen, we'd love to know what you want to hear about. We're actually getting ready to jump into a really super practical, super fun, very convicting series that's all about how do you renovate and work on your staff your church staff. Who do you need to fire? How do you need to fire them? Who do you need to hire? How do you hire them? Um, what is healthy? What is not? And we're going to be bringing in a lot of different guests and different guys that are in different positions and areas. It's not going to, it's going to be one that you don't want to miss. It's all about red flags and identifying what is or isn't a good thing. And so listen, we're excited. Uh, man, this has been our, our first full series on video. And we did this one from um, subscribe on Florida, YouTube, Delaware. Please. Yeah, subscribe from, from you know at football stadium. You know, Sahara Desert. You can go wherever, really. Okay, it's a lot of post editing. All right, <laughs> oh, oh, talk to you All later from seven continents. <laughs> Bing, love you guys. See Goodbye. you guys. 
Thank you for listening to the Mad Pastors podcast today. We hope that you found it not only encouraging, but beneficial that you have people in your corner doing ministry. Here's what we'd love for you to do. If you'd subscribe, review, and share our podcast, that would mean the world to us and it'd help as many pastors to hear and be encouraged just like you were. G6 is also supported by partners and allies like you who are willing to financially give and be a part of this ministry with us. So if you feel like you'd like to be a part of this with us, just go to g6allies.com slash partner. And we'd love for you to become our ally in our mission to serve pastors and their families. If you have questions, comments, or just want to talk more with us about your particular ministry needs, just email us at hello at g6allies.com. We can't wait to see you next time for our next episode. 